So I was talking about making dumplings at school and someone has hired me to make them dumplings. What? I was chatting with this guy who moved from Seattle and he was talking about how he and his partner had lived really close to like a strip of like Asian restaurants, essentially. And he was like, oh, I miss it so much, you know, blah, blah. We were commiserating. And then he was like, oh, I haven't found any dumplings. And I was like, oh, I make my own. And he was like, would you make me dumplings? And I was like, yes. And I, I mean, I was like, you can just pay for the ingredients. Like, I'll, I'll just make them for you. And he was like, I'll pay you a little extra. So I was essentially hired to make dumplings. So now you have a side hustle. Now I have a side gig. Do you think that this will be a stepping stone to your longtime dream of starting a dumpling cart? Maybe. I don't know. Well, here's the thing is that in Worcester, I don't think I need a dumpling cart. I think I could full on have like a dumpling shop. Oh. I know, right? Well, in the winter, it's not like you're getting that much foot traffic on the street. It's covered with snow. True, and real estate is cheaper. Yeah, so I could definitely have a dumpling shop. Well, in this time, maybe what you should do is like turn the second bedroom into a dumpling shop and sell dumplings out the window. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I think this could be, I, I think there's a market for it because frankly, <laughs> there's like no good Chinese food in this town. Dumpling pop-up coming soon to the people of Worcester. Exactly. Welcome to Romcomathon, our Valentine's Day episode. Ooh. <laughs> I'm Alex. And I'm Kat. And today we're here to talk about to All the Boys I Loved Before, three, the last installment in our trilogy. What was this? What's the subtitle? Always and Forever? Yes. Because the book, I think, is Always and Forever, Lara Jean. Yeah. So we're excited to bring you our trifecta of <laughs> To All the Boys. I had to go back and listen to the previous episodes because I was like, what happened? Yeah, I had like vague memories of what happened in movie two, but I've actually rewatched movie one like more than once. So I was like, oh, okay, I, I know what happens there. Actually, same. But then we rewatched like the last 20 minutes of the second one, even though I was like, now that I've listened to the podcast, I remember this. But we were cooking. We were making dumplings, actually. Oh, nice. We did not bother. We didn't bother doing any of that. <laughs> we, just, we just went in. I mean, they're not complicated movies, but I have to say, I think they've done a nice job. Should I summarize the plot first? Yeah, why don't you summarize the plot? So the previous two movies take place in junior year. It's them getting together and then them having like a quasi love triangle where at the end they get back together. Yeah, like immediate issues, which I don't know. <laughs> They're very young. One of them has never dated anyone before, okay? And it shows. God bless her. So book three or movie three, some time has finally passed and Lana Condor and Noah Centineo are now seniors in high school. They've been together, I guess, like a year and a half, though some of it was fake. Over spring break, Lana Condor's in Seoul with her family, blah, 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 food porn, blah, blah, blah. Anna Cathcart meets her first boy um, at the Lockbridge where their mother once put a lock. It's very emotional. And also her dad, John Corbett, is thinking about proposing to their neighbor, which, spoiler alert, he does in a couple of scenes. But most importantly, Lana Condor and Noah Centineo have a plan, which is that they're both going to go to Stanford and be together forever. Because, you know, like that kind of plan always works out really well. Um, some time passes. Obviously, Lana Condor doesn't get into Stanford wrecking the plan. Who saw that coming? <laughs> Wild. <laughs> 
she like accidentally lies to Noah Centineo, who's like waiting outside the door with a boombox. He's really, really excited for her, blah, blah, proposal. She inexplicably doesn't correct the lie for like a couple of days. But then she gets into UC Berkeley and tells him the truth and they formulate a new plan, which is she'll only be an hour and away and she can transfer after freshman year and they can still be together forever. So everything's like, okay. But then they take a senior trip to New York, which seems very expensive, by the way, because while the books take place in Virginia, the movies take place in like Oregon. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, predictably, Lana Condor falls in love with NYU, which her sister Janelle Parrish, like, made her apply to to grow or whatever. But she doesn't know if she's going to get in. But then she does get in and obviously ends up wanting to go there. And Noah Centineo takes it well, but is obviously actually crushed, partly because of his abandonment issues with his dad, who left when he was a kid, but is now trying to resume contact. Which, a bit late in the game, but... Uh, they do okay and they get through it. They go to prom. Lana Condor is preemptively feeling really sad about being apart. They almost have sex but don't. Noah Centineo feels weird that, like, she's kind of doing it out of insecurity and also obviously is just feeling weird because she decided to go to NYU. And ultimately they break up that night because he thinks they're probably doomed anyway and might as well just end it now, which is dumb but also fair. Um, Lana Condor is heartbroken, blah, blah, tells him not to come to her dad's wedding dad's wedding happens it's lovely it's in the backyard and like a tent full of lights and candles and stuff noah centineo in this time finally takes lana condor's advice and reconciles slightly with his father who conveniently says something about how when you love somebody you have to do everything possible which he really regrets not doing with noah centineo when he was a child blah 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 noah centineo has a change of heart and meets lara jean in the backyard wedding tent thing late at night with some help from Anna Cathcart, of course, because she's the architect of everyone's life. And he brings her yearbook, which he originally didn't want to sign, but has now written a new contract for them in, and plays their song, which she discovered in New York, but he was kind of moody about at the time, but now has decided it's their song. Best day of this band's life, by the way. Uh, Kiss, kiss, kiss. They have sex. Everyone goes off to college, but they're going to make it work. Probably not, but maybe. The end. That's pretty much it. By the way, did you listen to the lyrics of that song? I was like, these really repeat themselves. Yes, I really enjoyed that song. Me too. But there's so many songs in all of these movies. And every time I watch them, I'm like, oh, I should look that up. I should look. But this one was thematic. Yeah, you should just look up the playlist for To All The Boys. That's true. I think they have like proper soundtracks on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. I really like their soundtracks. I sometimes feel like the To All The Boys people must be like really on top of trends because the movies are coming out so much later than the books and the books obviously were written by someone at least our age but i think older right i think so um that there's stuff that was never obviously in the books like promposals and like you know endless selfie montages that they've adapted nicely i think yeah 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 (laughs) while watching that promposal happen though i was like i'm so glad that we were in high school before the promposal era because this is just like another layer of like horribleness and stress to like add to the end of your senior year truly (laughs) when so there's like a promposal sequence when they're walking up just to remind us that that's a thing and it's like a small flash mob and i was like what's happened oh sure yes i know i was like this is the worst thing of all time luckily Noah Centineo promposals uh, Lana Condor in, like, a very, like, quiet fashion with some, like, pancakes, but... 
Yeah, I thought they might drag that out, but it was actually a very low-key, non-conflict thing, and they're very sweet. Um, Yeah. No, he was so great in this movie. Alex was like, I want to go back in time and have him as my boyfriend. Um, (laughs) He's he's so lovely. But I, I was so stressed during the whole sequence when she had been rejected from Stanford, but he was so excited because he thought she got in. And it was like this whole like couple I of know. scenes where I was just like dying. I was like dying. I know. We were just there like, girl, why? Just tell him. Just tell him. Just tell him. I thought I accidentally sent the text that was meant for my sister to you. I didn't mean to lie. And luckily, because he is the best teenage boy in the world, he actually takes it very well when she eventually tells him. But I was a little like, movie, why'd you put me through this? I know. I know. And I was like, oh, God, no. He spent all this time decorating his car. He got her a stupid, creepy tree hat. Like, (laughs) they're so cute. They do a really nice job with, like, couple stuff and rom-com stuff while letting them be teenagers. But there were several moments where Matt was like, this is the most mature teenage boy ever. No, it's true. So I enjoyed this movie, right? Well, I think it's more specific to say, like, I enjoyed basically every scene. But on a whole, I thought the movie was kind of slow. And I was, like, a little bored at points um, just because the conflict is pretty small and not too many big, big events, like, happen around it, right? Like, the first movie, there's so much going on. Um, It's, like, consistently, like, moving the plot forward. And in the second movie, there's the love triangle. But in this one, it was just, like, between the two of them, but it wasn't really, like, the most conflict, like, the most interesting conflict, I guess, because they they already loved each other, they respected each other, like, you know, like, it. I was like, oh, but you're all making, like, good choices, this is boring. Yes, I think you felt that way about the second one, too, that you were like, I liked it, I liked it less than the first one, because they weren't getting together. I think um, these are really good adaptations, and the quality has been remarkably consistent. Like, I, like you, enjoyed all of it, although structurally, I think the books lend themselves, like, less and less well to a movie. Like, obviously, the first one is a classic rom-com. Yeah, I think so. Um, And then the second one, you're like, oh, you can throw this wrench in, and she's still dealing with, like whether she really believes in this relationship. And I'm glad that they didn't do that with the third one, because in the third book, what actually happens is, like, I forget exactly, but I think it's, like, Peter's, like, being, like, maybe all transfer, and Peter's mom, like, convinces Lara Jean to break up with him, kind of. Yes, and I was actually wondering if that was going to come into this movie at all, Um, and then they they ended up not going that route. But I don't know, like, I would have thought it would have been pretty realistic for Peter to suddenly be like, maybe I should go to NYU. Yeah, but maybe we've just seen Lara Jean break up with Peter too many times now. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I was pleasantly surprised because knowing A, like, the plot of the book, and B, just that it's the third movie, I really expected a dip in quality, but I thought it was good for what it was. They've been really faithful, I think, to the spirit of it while, like, changing a lot of details. Yeah. But I I hear you that it was less interesting because it was just like, and we'll wrap up this thread, and we'll wrap up this thread, and we'll wrap up this thread. They do a good job, I think, of hitting the different areas. Like, dad getting remarried is kind of a bigger issue, especially with her older sister in the book. But they just touch on it here, obviously. Um, I thought you might enjoy some of the Kitty stuff, like Kitty growing up, whether she's going to miss Lara Jean, Kitty learning not to be a jerk. 
Kitty is still my favorite character. So <laughs> yes, I did enjoy all those things. But I was like, oh, obviously Anna Cathcart is growing a little too fast for these films. That's always happens, right? Because they had to like, you know, consistently keep her hair up and pigtails and things like that. I was going to say like, I don't know exactly, but I'm guessing she must be around 15 now. Yeah. Because she was probably so. a little older than Kitty in the movies is supposed to be. I would really love it, though, if Jenny Han was able to write a sequel um, 10 years later or, you know, 15 years later when Peter and Lara Jean have broken up during college and end up getting back together. Um, because that's the stuff I always want to see, right? And, like, that's the thing that would have been truly realistic. They're not going to make it through college. <laughs> They're um, not going to make it 3,000 miles on opposite coasts through college. Uh, yeah. You and Lana Condor have the same dream. Oh, do I? She, I read an interview with her, you know, like right before we did this podcast, um, just being like talking about saying goodbye to this series that she's been filming like kind of nonstop for the last three years or whatever. And how she kind of hopes that there will be like a distant future sequel where they have broken up and get back together. But it was really cute because she's, I don't know, maybe 23 or something and was being like, but I do think they'll get married. And I was like, in the world of this book slash movie series, that would be nice, but I would want them to break up for a while first. Yeah, I I definitely think, I think they will. I mean, there's just no way she's going to be in New York (laughs) and seeing all these other people be with their significant others and have her boyfriend be 3,000 miles away who she sees maybe twice a year. I'm sorry, but it's just not going to happen. I love them talking about Tartine and Magnolia and stuff, though. No, I did enjoy that. Uh, Yeah, I was enjoying their like, you know, their city sequences. I thought that was sweet. I did think it was it was very like teenage boy or like, you know, whatever, where Peter was a little petulant when Lara Jean like discovers their song. And and she's like, listen to the song. And he's like, well, I wasn't there. By the way, I was like, why didn't she just bring Peter to this party? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Also, this school has the worst chaperones. They should all be fired. Oh, my God. One hundred percent. Also, what kind of system is it that they would break up a field trip and do it by alphabetical last name? The high schoolers would riot. Truly. If you weren't able to hang out with your best friend on a field trip, I think the chaperones would have been run out of town. Especially having paid what I can only assume is thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah, because the plane ticket, the hotel, they weren't staying at like a Holiday Inn. Indeed. Class trip to San Francisco would have made a lot more sense. Or even L.A., but like to fly to New York, stay in a hotel... No, it definitely made more sense when in the books when (laughs) it took place in like Virginia or wherever. Because she goes to um, UNC or something, right? Oh, yes, yes. In the books, it's UVA that she and Peter want to go to together. And because they want to stay close to home and good school. And I forget what the other school is that the Berkeley substitute, I think, is like William and Mary, maybe. Yeah, I think it's William and Mary. And then she ends up going to taking a trip with Chris, I think, to UNC to go look and then she falls in love with the ca- with the school with and Hill. wants to go there yeah but like i'm gonna tell you unc and uva are much closer together than nyu and stanford but obviously they were going for name recognition in this film yes they were like it's a movie and you know if it's not stanford no one will understand this distant dream well, at least I didn't pick Harvard. But it's the whole thing with her family, too, of, of like she gets in a mini fight with her sisters of being like, I don't want to go far away from my family like you, Scotland girl. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I love the sister stuff. I love her and Kitty. This is directly lifted from the books. I don't know if it's the exact lines, but Kitty being like, no, I'm only going to miss you a four or whatever. Um, And then, you know, later saying that's a lie. Yeah, I thought it was really sweet. I thought their Korea stuff was really cute. Um, Alex and I were both like, once again, they look nothing alike, but sure. (laughs) Like, not even a little bit. Also, watching them search the, like, lock bridge thing for the locks was hilarious. We were like, they're bad searchers. Because you see John Corbett just, like, peeking at a few, going to a totally different spot and peeking at a few. And you're like, okay. But they do shockingly find this lock that their mom put there, like, 20 years ago. Yeah, I was like, this is a not effective situation. (laughs) Um, But cute. I was not unmoved. Yeah, I, I love the Korea montage. Alex spent a lot of time in Seoul and um, and was like, oh, I miss these things. And I was like, I just want to eat this food. I miss like walking down a street with people. I know. We were like, this movie takes place in an alternate universe. Oh, yeah, because they graduate because their class of 2021. I was like, I see that COVID has not struck down this timeline, this fantasy world. Yes. One of my thoughts about this, like while acknowledging what you said about it being in some ways a bit dull like I feel like this must be such a wonderful movie series for kids yeah I, I imagine so I mean it's so I find it very soothing yes it's like wish fulfillmenty, but also wholesome but also attacks a couple of real issues albeit lightly yeah yeah which is what you want from this kind of thing for for teen girls or boys or anyone yeah, I actually thought it was it was great that um, we actually do see Lara Jean and Peter have sex. I wasn't sure like we were gonna like I mean like to fade to black kind of situation, but oh yeah, I did not know that was gonna happen at the end of the movie, and I was like, oh yes, I was pleasantly surprised. But I was like, <laughs> oh that's so lovely. I'm so glad they get to have that experience before they're ripped apart. Oh, I enjoyed the flashback to their meet cute with Claudia Kishi from the Babysitter's Club. Yes, I was like, she is so adorable. She's so cute in the second movie, too. And to be fair, neither she nor the little kid who plays young Peter look like them at all, but still cute. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that meet cute was, was very sweet, and I thought it was sweet that Peter remembered it. There is one thing, speaking of the second movie, that I have to put on record, which is in the podcast for the second movie, I was like, what the heck is going on? Her bedroom wall has changed. But looking at them, I think the wall designs are the same. Just for some reason, it looks tealer in the first movie and bluer in the later movies. Just, I don't know, maybe it's lighting. But I was like, okay, I'm wrong. I don't think that they repainted her room. I don't remember us discussing this, but I believe you. Um, did we know that Lara Jean wanted to be a writer? I don't know if we knew. I was actually wondering that myself. I was like, I love this like fantasy supportive future she has where she's like signing books and Peter's just like standing next to her. And I was like, I love this, but I didn't know that she wanted to write. Well, we know that she imagined like all sorts of romance novel situations in the first one. So yes, like it kind of tracks with her personality. I was just like, I think this is the first time we've heard of this. But speaking of her book signing, is her imaginary novel, whoa, 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 about her and Peter? (laughs) I didn't, I didn't see. And I truly was like, I don't remember and I don't have time to go back and look, but like, is whoa, whoa, whoa something that gets said in the first movie? I don't know. I would love to know. That's so funny. I'm guessing it is because movie world and it's in her imagination, but I was just like, quick follow-up question. 
I was busy talking about how I imagine Peter Kavinsky grows up to be such a wife guy. Like, no matter if it is Lara Jean or not, but like, it's just like, my wife is the best. Ah, my wife made this. I'm going to this with my wife. (laughs) He is a wonderful boy. He really is. I laughed so much at Peter's dad being like, we could go to that steakhouse you love, the place with the big knives. (laughs) And I was a bit like, but it's a steakhouse. Like, do not all steakhouses have big knives? And Noah Centineo is kind of like, um, they were big when I was five. <laughs> and now I'm like, are these abnormally big knives? I have a lot of questions. Oh, but his dad is played by this guy who was uh, who was in The Haunting of Bly Manor as this really, really creepy man. And when he first shows up in this movie, I was like, ugh, what's with his creepy face? And Alex was like, do you not remember him? He... I thought did a nice job in a relatively thankless role, but he is not attractive enough to be Peter Kavinsky's father. I was going to say, he also looks nothing like Peter Kavinsky. He does look a little bit like the little boy who plays Peter in the flashback. But you know what I have to say is, was Mark Ruffalo not available? Was he too expensive? Because... Yes, that would have been so great. A thousand percent Mark Ruffalo should be Noah Centineo's dad. Yeah, but you would never imagine Mark Ruffalo being a deadbeat. No. Well, I don't know. He's a wonderful actor. Maybe he could pull it off. That's true. Um, As I say this, I'm like, boy, I hope Mark Ruffalo hasn't done anything bad that I don't remember. No, no, I don't think he has. (laughs) I mean, every day now it's like Google like male person in Hollywood rape, male person in Hollywood sexual harassment, male actor in Hollywood cannibal. Oh, God. Um, anyway, speaking of Noah Centineo, most popular boy in the world, Alexandra mentioned that her friend who's deeply attached to the book series was kind of complaining that the actors no longer look like teenagers. And I was kind of like, I don't know what universe you're watching things in that you expect teen actors to ever look like teens because they're always in their 20s. But in watching this movie, I was honestly struck by how much older he looks. He does. He's filled out also. I was like, oh, he looks bigger. I don't know. Maybe it's just my mind. And then when they played clips from the first two movies, I was like, oh, no, yeah, I see that they didn't look like teenagers then either, but they looked more like teenagers. Yeah, they definitely, definitely did. Because he was a bit scrawnier, but so was she. They were, I want to say, like, between 19 and 21 when they shot the first movie. And now... Yeah, she definitely looks a bit more, like, cultish in the first one. Um, I don't want to be, like, creepy, but, like, she looks curvier, I guess, like, in this one. I mean, she looks more like an adult. Yeah, they, they both. They just, like, they look like 20-somethings, which, yeah. you know, if you've ever seen a show on the CW, is fine. But it is true that if you ever see normal teenagers, you're like, okay, these are adults. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it does make it a little bit better that we then see them have sex, to be honest. Yeah. Um... Should we do our person of color count? I feel like it's like the same as for like the previous films. Yeah, I was sort of writing them down, but you know, family, uh, soul, I think Trina too. I, f- I, I don't know about Trina. I was also wondering that. Every scene Trina was in, I was like, is she a person of color? Maybe she's Greek. This is definitely something that I looked up for the second movie and have already forgotten and forgot to look up again. But maybe her, um, the same classmates and friends as before, couple of kids at NYU, child who did the promposal. Oh, 
Wait, I do want to talk about one thing which I've forgotten about, which is when in she's in New York and she's on that like fun party with Jen and Chris, right? And then when they're on the subway, Jen turns to her and is basically like, I can't remember what she says, but it's like something about like, it would be nice if if they were at NYU together or something like that. I was like, this is such a gay look. Why is this such a gay moment? I was like, okay, Jen. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, add that to the fact that we rewatched the second movie and there's a part where Lara Jean literally says like, it was you I couldn't get over. And I was like... I forgot about this line. It's weirder out of the context of the rest of the film. Maybe they'll go to NYU and Lara Jean and Jen will hook up. No, I don't think so. Lara Jean is like the straightest girl in the universe. But I will say I liked overall what they did with Jen. I think in the book she kind of disappears. And I like that they... It's cheesy, but I like that they brought in some more warmth between her and Lara Jean and even Chris. Yeah, I think that was really nice. Although this is the these are really the straightest movies. Oh yeah. At one point when she was talking to that girl at NYU, I thought the girl was gonna be like, Oh, I had someone I wanted to go to college with and I thought she was gonna be like she blah 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 blah, but I guess I didn't have time for that. Yeah, no, it was just a but yeah, the the whole film is like very heterosexual with the exception of Lucas, but like that's it. He's also not there that much in this movie. Oh, although no. I have to say, I am charmed by Chris and Trevor. Yes, I thought they were very charming. Um, also, I was like, I still don't know if Trevor is smart or dumb. <laughs> um, but this leads nicely into favorite lines because I think my favorite line is when Trevor is during when they're coming down the stairs for their prom pictures and Trevor sees Chris and he says to her you look so beautiful like a big picture at a museum or something like that (laughs) a big picture at a big museum I think (laughs) that was my favorite line that was I was like that's pretty funny that's pretty funny delightful I think my favorite line was when she said, I choose you, Peter Kavinsky, because Matt and I were both like, Pikachu? I choose you, Pikachu? And then I said that Lara Jean was Charmander. And we were like, oh, well, they're both Pokemon. That makes sense. That's why they belong together. <laughs> why Charmander? Oh, I don't know. I think it was just the first one that came to mind. Oh, okay. All right. I was just wondering what made you look at Lara Jean and think Charmander, but okay. I Charmander is adorable, a little retiring. When I actually think about it, maybe she'd be Squirtle because she has like such a cute round face. Oh yeah, maybe. Hmm. Um, what was your favorite scene? Um, I don't know. I feel like there were a lot. I enjoyed Peter opening presents. That was so cute. That was <laughs> so cute mask. because you don't see it, but I imagine that he opened that f- Korean face mask and was just like, yes, let me put it on. Like he's genuinely excited about this dumb shit she brought him from Korea. He has the most earnest personality. I love it. Oh, her being like, these character socks were very hard to find in your size because he's enormous. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also enormous, John Corbett. Every time I saw John Corbett standing next to a woman, I was like, how tall is John Corbett? He's, well, is Trina really short or is John Corbett really tall or is it both? That's what I wanted to know. I think it's probably both because we also see Lana Condor hug him and I was like, is she tiny or is he really tall? And I think the answer is he's really tall, but uh, I don't know. Um, I loved Peter's struggles with spatial planning. Like when he makes that welcome home sign and at the end he's had like the happy birthday problem. (laughs) Yes, I love it. And then it's twice. We see him, like, he's written, like, Stanford on his car, but run out of space again. 
That's so cute. I didn't notice. I, I didn't notice the Stanford thing because I was like too busy being like, no, tell him, tell him. Oh God, he's done such a cute thing for you. Yes. They did a really good job, I think, of subverting expectations in terms of like rom-com nonsense because like she mentioned say anything and we get the say anything moment like right away. Yeah. And they talk about promposal stuff and we get the promposal stuff in a very like low key quick way. And these are all things that I think a lesser teen third movie would have really dragged out. I also think like even her telling Peter that she didn't get into Stanford would have been further dragged out and that he would have had a bigger reaction to that. Yes, we were nervous. There were a couple of moments where Matt was like, oh, no, like, don't get upset with her. And I was like. Just trust Peter Kavinsky, most popular boy in the world. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Even his breakup with her was, I felt, you know, I was like, well, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, like, you know, in terms of your reasoning behind it, I, I do think the way you're going about it, dumping her on prom night is a little less elegant. Yes, it's not nice, but it's, and I got a little bit emotional. I was like, this is upsetting. But they do a good job of not villainizing either of them, which I think is part of why the conflict is kind of low-key. But to be fair, if they'd made it bigger, we'd just be here complaining about that. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. We can't be pleased. Um, <laughs> um, speaking of nitpicks. Excuse me. I didn't get to talk about my favorite scene. Oh, no, no, no Please. Oh, I don't even know if I have one. I just wanted to complain. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I really liked, actually, I really liked the NYU party. Alex was like, if I got to go to this as a teenager, I would also be sold on going to NYU. Yeah, we were like, what a nice rooftop party these college kids are throwing. I know. And I, I love the scene where they're bringing a couch onto the subway because I did feel like there was something magically New Yorky about that, that I imagine like through Lara Jean's college years that she's going to have so many experiences that are going to really tie her to New York. York. So I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed the scene where they get back together in the tent. I thought that was really cute with the yearbook and the new contract and everything. I thought it was really, really sweet with all the the, the lights and the, the candles and stuff. Although I was like, I hope they doused all those candles before they went in and just Peter relit them again. Same. I was like, they just left all this on after the wedding? Or like, has Kitty been really busy? Yeah. <laughs> um, I did wonder, actually, we see one of her college acceptance letters and it says to Ms. Song Covey. And I was like, is this her last name? Because I always thought Song was her middle name. Oh, me too. I also have that question because it's the rejection letter from Stanford. And we see that it says, yeah, to Ms. Song Covey. And I was like, is their last, are their last names Song Covey? I thought it was no, just no, no. Covey. It's definitely that they have first names and their last name is Covey and their middle like all three of them have the middle name song okay but I was like in this world do they have two last names but not hyphenated I was very confused I was like but he calls her Covey and also like it's just does anyone have two last names but like separate words are you allowed to do that I don't, I don't know. Maybe you are. I have no idea. Yeah, I was very thrown by that. Oh, I also enjoyed that line, by the way, when someone was, maybe it was her, when she was like, can you believe that like college acceptances used to come as like in the mail? And I was like, yes, yes, Lara Jean, I, I, I can believe that. Yes, in, you know, the ancient times. Although I got to say, I think when we were in high school, they also came by email because I remember at least one of mine. You got some by email. I didn't think I got any by email. Really? Yeah. You got one from Bryn Mawr, I remember, by email. Oh, yeah. And I was like, this weird video slideshow of the, it was like, this is Jenny. This is Jenny signing your letter. And I was like, I don't know that I like this. It's a little <laughs> too much. 
Yeah. I I was like, oh, because we all just got, you know, letters in the mail. So maybe they were just starting to transition in that time. Yeah, I think they were maybe just starting to do e-acceptances. Oh, you know what? I mean, like, I might have gotten one, but like, it was so long ago. I don't remember. I definitely got some in the mail as well, because I remember my grandmother was really... BU's colors are red and white, and my grandmother, being Chinese, was extremely enamored of the giant red envelope they sent. (laughs) But honestly, like, Matt asked me, oh, did you tour NYU? And I was like, I don't think I applied to NYU, but I also toured nowhere and had no dreams and have very little memory of this entire process. Because the other thing is... Like, Lara Jean deputizes Kitty to open all her acceptances because she's feeling, like, superstitious and stressed. I, not by choice, I think my mother opened, like, all of my mail and then would just, like, unceremoniously tell me. (laughs) See, my parents at least allowed me to open all my own mail. (laughs) No, I think this moment was fully stolen from me. (laughs) (laughs) But you also saw no campuses, much like Lara Jean, though. Like, Lara Jean has not visited any of the campuses she's applied to. Which is odd because she has a sister who's gone through this process and I feel like her parents probably have more of a sense of how this is supposed to go. I have to say, John Corbett seems like a really good dad. I love so much of the stuff with her family. I love so much of the stuff with integrating Trina and the different relationships that she has with them, even though these are like really brief moments. I loved Lara Jean essentially skipping school because she's upset about Stanford and being like, what's more contagious, mono or dysentery? And he was like, oh, mono is way more contagious and just like heads out. I thought that was really nice because she obviously needed to not be in school that day and he allowed her to make that decision for herself. I mean, she's 17, 18, you know, she's old enough. What else? I liked when... Trina's like, I like mason jars. And they're like, it's a wedding, not a Mumford and Sons concert. Oh, yeah, that was Kitty. Kitty had some good lines. Trina at one point also says, like, I will cut you, girl. And I was like, I like that. I like that, Trina. I liked um, Kitty early on being Kitty and Lara Jean being like, is it just me or is she getting meaner with age? (laughs) I love Kitty. Kitty remains my favorite character throughout the series. I like when they're talking about like what have you learned from rom-coms and i think it's peter who says it's okay to interrupt a wedding (laughs) i was like this is a warranted slam like not not super super original but i liked it it was funny yeah what was your worst scene and i don't really have like worst lines and i actually don't think i really have worst scenes either because like i said like i enjoyed you know i enjoyed the individual scenes yeah no i don't really have worse i did have a complaint which is At one point, we see them in a science classroom, and behind them, there's just a bunch of magnifying glasses hanging from the ceiling. And I was like, what project is this? What are these high school seniors learning from a bunch of magnifying glasses stuck in the ceiling? Like, did they write their, like, science goals on them? I just, I want to know. Science goals? (laughs) I'm saying. (laughs) Now I'm remembering all the dumb stuff you have to do in school. Truly. All right. Well, I think overall my feelings are, you know, as we move into scoring, this was like decent. It was it was like a decent movie. I didn't feel like it was like that exciting. I still really love the first one. I think I maybe enjoyed this more than the second one because I don't really care for love triangles. I don't know. What would you give it? I don't remember what I scored the first one, but maybe I would give this like a six or a seven. I think I felt like it was maybe around a seven. I think they finished really strong. I can't remember what we scored the first one either. I want to say we probably gave it like a nine or something. And I think we might have given the second one like an eight, though. So maybe this one should be higher. Oh, maybe it should. I don't know. Anyway, I would put this between my score for the second one and the first one. Okay. Some number of warmly received final installments. 
New contracts, college acceptance letters, other seminal high school moments, New York dessert icons. Oh my God, I wanted those cupcakes so bad when he takes her to that cupcake bakery in New York. I was like, imagine, imagine just being able to walk into a bakery and get cupcakes wild. <laughs> uh, well, this was, I think, a really solid goodbye to the series. I mean, I am waiting on Jenny Han to write that, you know, 15 years later, 10 years later sequel, but... Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed our journey through to all the boys. Um, and we hope you also enjoy the film. All our social media is in the credits. Please follow us and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at, at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.